welcome to the AFC Podcast. Just as a reminder, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, on CastBox. You can see our beautiful faces on YouTube if you so choose. And also, if you watch on YouTube, you can see all the clips that our day players bring up for you. My name is Victoria Fragnito, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jim. Hello, hello. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. We're going to have a fun podcast today. We have our actor, director, producer, day player, Tony Vitale who has her own production company, and she's also the owner and founder of the Roosevelt Island Film Festival. We're going to talk to her about her career, and we're also going to talk about her film of choice, Walk the Line from 2005. Uh, It's a biopic, and biopics are interesting because they're, they're based on a true story, more often than not because it's a real person that they're basing the story on. They can't take certain leaps with the story so like you can't stretch the truth too far that because then it's not true then it's not a biopic and then it becomes the fictionalized version of that story so you know i don't know i always question sometimes like did this really happen that way or was it you know done a certain way did that do these actors know the people that they even played stuff like that i always think about stuff like that so i like seeing like, I know Will Smith played Muhammad Ali, and I know they, they met at one point, and it was just kind of like a meet and greet, like, how you doing? Yeah, I'm going to play you in the movie. Cool. See you later. And then, you know, there's a couple other instances like that. Um, but yeah, do you, have a, do you have a biopic that stands out, one that you know of? Or? Um, I mean, I've watched the movie Selena over and over again, till forever. Um, and, you know, I think it's, it's, there's a reason why a lot of biopics, I think, get, the actors get nominated over and over and over again for big awards um, for them, because instead of, like, just taking a character and putting your own spin on it, you have to impersonate a real-life person. So, you know, you have to take their mannerisms, you have to, and there are people who are such huge fans of them and people that are so well-known that you are definitely going to be judged on how well you portray this person it's not just an idea of like I don't like the way Daniel Radcliffe played Harry Potter in the movies because that's not what he's like in my head you know it's different this is Hogwarts (laughs) really like that's not I don't agree at all um I definitely didn't like the second Dumbledore but that's a story for a whole other day um (laughs) it's not accurate to the book and it drives me nuts um (laughs) So angry, just running across the room at full speed. The source material—that's why it's there. But anyway, (laughs) but I mean, then that—that's you know a prime example of like, you know, they can make it into anything they want because it's just someone's interpretation rather than this is a real life person and they have to base their choices and the way that they walk, the way that they talk, the way that they do everything off of this real life human being. Yeah, and I mean, we're going to talk about this a little bit later, too, but I was looking into Walk the Line, and I was reading some of the stuff about how Joaquin Phoenix got the role, and Johnny Cash had to, like, sign off on it and be like, yeah, it's cool if you play me. Uh, and the same goes with um, June Carpenter. Is that her name? June Carter. June Carter, yes. Uh, she had to also sign off on Reese Witherspoon, because both of them, too, were, were singing. That was their voices, not not Johnny Cash, not... Uh, June Car- Carter, but um, I thought that was really cool. One of the other things with Joaquin Phoenix too was because he was singing, he couldn't, he, he wasn't like a 
musician before that. Like he had to train himself to really learn the guitar and learn how to sing. And his voice, there's no voice on earth like Johnny Cash. It's just this deep, powerful, gritty voice that no one else has. And Joaquin Phoenix was trying to do that. And he just, his voice just wasn't that deep. So he was performing and singing and they were going to make the entire movie with a different like voice. And they were like, all right, well, if, if we, if my voice can't get to this level, the musicians have to change the keys of their instruments. And they learned all of Johnny Cash's songs on a different key. And then all of a sudden, right before production, Joaquin Phoenix was like, I got it. My voice popped. I figured it out. And they all had to relearn all the music on the correct key because his voice got deeper suddenly. So it's like a weird thing, but it's credit to actors that go the extra mile and really try to, you know, live in the body of the people they're playing. Um, the only other biopic I can think of off the bat is Wolf of Wall Street because that movie's ridiculous. So I can't believe that movie is real, first of all. I mean, also Harry Potter. I can't believe that Harry Potter really happened. It's real. It's all real. Yeah. There's actually a theory going around that um, J.K. Rowling is actually Rita Skeeter from the fourth books, and she got kicked out for breaking the uh, laws of secrecy, and now she's just getting her revenge by writing fictional novels, but they're real. I don't think we're allowed to talk about J.K. Rowling anymore. She's doing too much on Twitter. Yeah. She's just yeah. delete. Her and Trump need to get off Twitter. Those two, for completely different reasons. Yeah. But uh, it's just, it's, it's crazy. Take, just take the, the device away. Take the login away. I think some people just shouldn't have Twitter. You know? Just, you're like, oh, you can be that rude in 140 characters? Cool. I mean, that's a skill, but still. Facebook, that's it. Just your own friends can deal with you. I don't want to deal with you. I've been off Twitter for almost a decade now, and my my life's fine. I have <laughs> on Twitter. Well, how about we actually bring Tony on and let's talk to her instead of running on about Twitter for a while? Because we could go on about I've Twitter. Been on a Forty-five minute rant about Twitter. So that's probably a good decision. Let's bring on Tony. We're gonna show one of her clips of all her projects, and then we'll get her on. We'll start asking her some questions. here with Tony Vitale. Tony, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Great. Uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into the industry, and what you do. 
Uh, I'm an actor, director, producer, writer, and filmmaker. And I got into the industry years ago when I was in it in my teens. I would act around my house, um, and that's how I got into acting. And then I studied the Meisner technique, which really led me to doing some more stuff behind the scenes. And I wasn't getting enough work, so I decided to just create my own. And then that's how directing came in, and producing, and and writing as well. Nice. So did um, directing you kind of learned on the fly, like as you were doing projects or creating projects um, for yourself? Yeah, I mean, as I was, you know, doing my own projects, I I was just kind of getting the visions of what I wanted to see. Um, and then slowly as I started doing that, I, I was learning more about the cinematography and the shots, the angles and stuff like that. And, you know, the camera movements and, it's really so much entailed to filmmaking and directing that a lot of times we all just think it's just do this, do this, do this, but it's like so much more than that. But it's great process for myself to just keep um, educating myself through the process of my own work um, to get to other things. Yeah, I feel like a lot of actors, they eventually have the goal to get behind the camera. Um, yeah. Not necessarily ever the other way around. Like I have never been like, oh, I can't wait to become an actor one day. <laughs> Um, <laughs> like once you're behind the camera, you're, you're stuck there, I think. I think it's, you know, it's funny. I always have this, this, this thing that I laugh about because for so many years, my parents were always like, you have to do something else other than acting. And I was always like, no, I mean, I think most actors are that way. They're like, no, I'm going to be an actor. And, and that's how it's going to pan out. But, you know, now I really enjoy behind the scenes because um, it may enables me to kind of take a step back and to watch others work. And I think that's the greatest thing, so. Yeah, yeah I definitely, I know so many actors at this point who, like you, were tired of waiting for someone to say, okay, I want you in my piece. And then, you know, you just end up, you, instead of waiting, you take the, the bull by the horns and you say, I'm going to create my own thing. I know who I am as an artist, so I'm going to create something that showcases me. And then you keep, you want to keep doing that. You know, you want to keep. It was just this, like this place where I was like, all right, I'm going to go back to training and I'm going to try to figure out what I'm doing wrong as an actor, why I'm not getting books. And, you know, of course it turns out that they're always stereotyping you and which is fine. But at the same time, you, we all as actors know that we have a different type of range. So I put myself through intense training for like two years straight. I mean, I poured my money out on training, which is the best thing that I ever did because I really didn't uh, find out exactly what I was doing that wasn't enabling me to book work. However, I did get to that same spot, which was like, hey, they're still stereotyping me. So in order for me to recreate a different path for myself, I'm gonna just start creating my own work, my own roles, and maybe make, and, and, and really open eyes to the range that I have. And then recreating my whole look, which is what I did, because I was like, maybe it's because of something I'm putting out that they're you know looking at, that they're saying, well, this is what you look like, this is what we see. So I'm like, well, let's just cut my bangs and let's lose some weight and like, let's just <laughs> try to recreate something else. And so, so you you conformed. Yeah, because I and, and it's funny because when afterwards I look back and I say, wow, I see what they see. Because when you when you learn the casting process, I mean, I I love casting. Like I'm looking to get into casting and be a casting director and work more with that because it really is amazing. It really a lot of times isn't about your work. It's really about just what they see. And then of course the work that goes into it. But I understood what they saw. Cause I saw that after I re, you know, changed some things around and like, I was like, oh, now I get it. So. I feel you know. like that's almost a step in the direction of becoming a method actor. 
because you're trying to really become the thing that is the a it's the role and it's also what the filmmakers want for the role so right. it, as opposed to you know like we're going to talk about walk the line in a little bit but joaquin phoenix is notoriously a method actor and he's he's crazy but i think yeah. Light step in that direction is if you're playing a certain character and then you cut your hair similar to how that character has their hair or mm -hmm. try to lose weight to more, look more like the character or gain weight. Christian Bale is notorious for gaining ridiculous yeah. amounts of weight and then losing ridiculous amounts of weight. Uh, I think it was you know, somewhere in the ballpark of like 80 pounds between The Dark Knight and the movie, I think The Machinist, mm -hmm. I believe, where he was like yeah. a skeleton pretty much. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think that's that's a step in the direction of becoming a better actor and a method actor a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, Those are like two of my favorite actors too. They are so in into their what they do, and it's so beautiful yeah, to watch. I completely agree. It's I I could watch uh, Joaquin Phoenix probably do just about anything because um, mm -hmm. of how much he does give himself over to a role, a hundred percent commitment. There's no questioning it at all. Um, but, huh? Batman and the Joker. Got That's Christian true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that was like an, an interesting movie. <laughs> so, uh, Tony, how many projects have you uh, created um, as part of your production company? How many, how many projects have you kind of pushed out through that? I mean, I, I, created work before I did actual raising money for films. Like I was doing some real clips and just playing around with writing. And I used to run a comedy show. Um, it was called Laughing with TV. It was many years ago, a sketch comedy. We did, I did a live show on, um, in a, in a theater. And then in between the, the live sketch comedy, we, I did some videos, some like Saturday night live type videos. And I screened those in between, like while we were changing for the next scene. It was over the top type comedy. It was, you know, character comedy. And I think what started to be was people started to call me a comedian. And I really didn't like that very much because I was like, I'm not really a comedian. I'm just somebody who likes comedy. And, you know, I mean, I'm funny when I'm, when I'm stoic and sarcastic because that's like my dry humor. But I, when it comes to like pushing over the top type character -y stuff, like I, I didn't find myself to be really funny with all of that. And uh, I just decided to say, you know what, this isn't really where my heart is at. So in order for me to really have everybody shift their focus and their attention on what it is that I really am, then I have to kind of stop doing this. So I, I deleted everything. I mean, I kept just the, the clips that I have for memories and stuff like that. And because also the quality of the clips weren't so great. And then, you know, from there, I just, like I said, I started writing some real stuff and real clips. And then the Hold On Loosely was the first film that I really produced that, you know, I was, was, was like, I raised money for it, hired a photographer, lighting, sound and all that. Then I did Flowers and then I did Adult Dish. So that's my comedy series. And my knowledge has gained so much from those projects and in between. And the problem is always the budget. It's like, you know, where do we get the budget to really do what we see? And so I learned my lesson from adultish because I didn't really have too much of the budget to do that project. And I, I, it came out great and it's really funny. I have such great talent on it. And I even thought myself, like the way I said, hey, this is really who I am to be funny. I'm not really a over the top character comedy, so. And then drama is like really, I'm interested really in both. 
And I think my, my love for all these projects prompted me to, to create a, a, a production company so that I can help others create their art. And because I don't always want to be in front of the camera, I do want to direct other projects and produce other projects. So I'm producing a project and directing a project coming up in, in October. So I finally got my first dibs on it and I'm building my company as we speak. And then I also own the Roosevelt Island Film Festival, which is, I just started up with that as well. So all of it's just coming into play, which is really nice because I was trying to find these, like that plant that, you know, comes through the cracks. <laughs> it's like, yeah. there's these other roots to get to where you really want to go. And it may not be the route that you always had planned. So I said, you know, instead of letting this passion of mine go, I really am going to find these other little cracks to get to where I got to go. So that's kind of where I'm at now. I have other projects right now that I'm excited to put on. Um, but with this going on, it's so difficult to really, you know, um, but I'm just building it. And, and, and then when they're ready to launch and we're ready to go, we're, we're going to, you know. Are, are you finding that it's more difficult to do anything or write or get creative during coronavirus and all the quarantine and everything like that? Like, I personally, I've been like stuck. I'm in the mm. end of the road, not end of the road, but I'm just like stalemated. Like coronavirus put me on pause a little bit. Yeah. I'm, I'm enjoying the time I'm doing this podcast. This is kind of one of the creative outlets for me. Um, mm -hmm. I'm writing. I haven't been writing any like fil uh, films or stories or anything like that. Uh, but have you been trying to write things or put things together during? Right prior to this whole thing, I was making this deal with myself, like that I really wanted to get more organized and more focused. And, and then um, I was really overwhelmed with just my schedule and it was starting to get frustrating. So when this all happened, I, I decided to throw everything out in my apartment <laughs> because I realized that was one of the things that was getting in my way was this disorganization was like kind of clouding my mind. Um, and then I was just coasting because as writers, I think that's really what's important. It's funny. I just mentioned that too. It's like when you're a writer, you kind of coast because there's really nothing that sparks you. And when it does spark you is when you're ready to write down. And so with this quarantine that happening, I had a lot of funny stuff happen that I was like, you know what? I got to really continue this comedy series because like, like I really want to add these into it. It's like really, really funny. I don't want to make it too much because I think we all like put quarantine in there. But also other things started to spark this feature film that I want to write. You know, it's a 1970s piece about gambling and the mafia. And, you know, I have that going. I have Sloan and Alice, which is another short film. And all these projects are probably about three quarters finished. So I'm kind of trying to balance my time right now between writing, creating, building my company, the, the, uh, you know, the film festival, and, you know, enjoying my summer because it is summer. <laughs> So I think we should all not feel guilty for like enjoying the weather and like going to the beach and just kind of doing really nothing sometimes, you know? I think that's what a lot of people are taking away from the quarantine is to just kind of like turn their brain off and just chill. Just chill. That's it. A lot of people I mean, do that. If you know what it did for me? I went inward with myself. I did a lot of inward work and I had to because I really felt like that's really the best way that we're ever going to be successful or we're ever going to have a solid business or, 
you know, company with our because we have to work with ourselves. We are our selling tool and like, we all have weaknesses. We all have bad habits and, you know, mastering those bad habits. And I would say taming them more because we're always going to have bad habits. But when you're going into business for yourself and you're in this filmmaking business, we're always dealing with lots of people. And so I felt that this time would have been great for all of us to really go inward. But then like what I thought, I was really excited about it. And then all of a sudden the protesting started and it just showed that everybody went berserk. And, you know, you can't control what everybody does. But, but yeah, I think that's a good time always to, to really go inward with yourself, to discover things about yourself, to better yourself for relationships, for business, for just overall life, you know. Well, tell us a little bit about um, the Roosevelt Island Film Festival. Oh, wait, I just lost you. There we are. Oh, hi. <laughs> okay. Uh, so the Roosevelt Island Film Festival. I, I, I've been to so many festivals that I, I've, you know, I've been to enough where I really admired everybody's work. You know, I tried to get to as many as I could. I was, didn't have any projects in a lot of them, and I, but I just supported artist friends or just in general to just see what the festivals are about. And I just said, you know, I, I'm going to start my own festival. So I was thinking about where to have it, what to call it. I knew nothing about it. So I went to this festival in the Hamptons and there was this really nice man, um, Alberto was his name, and he, he suggested that I do it in Roosevelt Island because he said that, you know, nothing was out there and that it had the tram and, you know, so I was like, oh, that's a good idea. So I went out there one day and I checked it out and I couldn't find anything, you know, where to have this festival. And a friend of mine, Daniel Giordano, who I've worked with in the past before, he is a director and anyway, he lives there and said, oh, I live out here. If you need any help, let me know. So he started to help me slowly with the festival. And then uh, he said, you know, I just want to be a founder. And I was like, sure, of course, anybody, you know, who's going to help me, like, it's great. And then we were just working so much together that he's like, you know what, I, I want to be equal partners. <laughs> and I was like, you know what, fine, that's great too, because you are doing equal amount of work. And I feel like you live there, you're as passionate about it as I am. And I just, you know, would like for everyone to know that it was me that originally started it. And then once it started, we worked together. And so now we're partners. And you know, we have planned on doing it in August, uh, which is a short time from the time that we started it. So with this all happening, we, we weren't able to have it. And we really want to have it in the summer months where we can really appreciate Roosevelt Island and do something on the tram and like have everybody really uh, go and enjoy the beauty of it. So we decided to just put it off till next June. Yeah, I think that's a smart decision too. A lot of people are using the downtime as well to not only inwardly reflect, but also they're taking their projects and just making them better because they have the time to sit down and just write it out better or edit it better. I know, the filmmakers behind the movie Black Widow and Marvel and Disney, I read a thing that they were like, I think we have a better cut of the film because we didn't have to have the pressure of getting it out for the May release date because coronavirus pushed mm -hmm. it out. So it's all about seeing mm -hmm. the positives in everything going on because obviously we could see all the negatives, you know, every minute of every day. Yeah, it's the, and submissions too. I mean, we, we got, you know, we got some su submissions, but you know, because of the everything happening, it kind of put a damper on our submissions. So now we have lots of time to get more submissions, to get sponsors, to promote it more. And I think it was, yeah, 
it was a better thing too. It's giving everybody a break. I mean, it's frustrating because we all want to work. We all want to get back to work and stuff. But you know, it it it, it we, I think sometimes we need to remember if this this time may never happen again. <laughs> you know, like this this little pause. Yeah. I think once we do get back to work, people are gonna be like, shit, I need a break. Like when's the next six month vacation yeah. I can go on? And that's just not a thing. Everyone's gonna be like waiting for their four week vacation that won't exist and going back to just having weekends. And I think mm -hmm. uh, that might change a little bit. I feel like people are gonna be trying to take longer vacations or take longer breaks from things. I think people are going to try to start working from home more and just yeah. more as opposed to going out into the world where someone can cough on you and then you die. So yeah. I think which is way safer to just do it like this and have everybody do Zoom chats and stuff. Cause this is cool. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I have a joke, like I say the social distancing, I'm like, I'm up to 800 feet. <laughs> I'm like, you know what, this thing is like kind of nice. So let's just keep mine at 800 feet. <laughs> we all live pretty close to one another. Victoria lives like three blocks away from me. And I know oh. that you live pretty close by in Astoria as well. But yeah. you know, that's, that's the Astoria Filmmakers Club. We're all pretty close by. Mm-hmm. Uh, hold on, I'm going to yell out the window. You tell me if you hear me. No. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, that would be <laughs> Tell us a little bit about why, why you chose the film Walk the Line as your movie choice for the podcast. Well, uh, Walk the Line, first of all, other than, you know, amazing acting. I mean, it's just so, so true and real. And it is a love story. However, that's not really why I love it so much. It's a, uh, there was a time in my life when I'm not sure uh, if you saw any of the clips from my film, Hold On Loosely, but there was um, a, a little bit of a, you know, I was a bartender and I got kind of caught up in the party life and drugs and, you know, as some of us all do at some point in our lives. But it was just a really down time for me. And um, I really looked out for help for, for, for others to just get me to this place where I was like proud of myself and, you know, just not really, you know, in that lifestyle anymore. So I think that's why I love the movie so much is because he really like knocked down her door pretty much. I mean, like she was a tough soul. And I think a lot of us have this thing about our, ourselves that we're so afraid to love because we've been hurt before or because it really is just difficult. But I think that he really did. And even though he was hurting his wife while he was doing it, you know, he, he really felt something for her and she as did for him because there was this connection that they just couldn't let go. And it was just like, they, they really musically like matched each other. And, you know, he really wanted help. Like he really wanted to get better. He didn't want to stay where he was. And I think when, when it comes to that is like, you know, drugs and all that, it's really a difficult place to be in because you're hurting so many people when you're doing it. But at the same time, you're not doing it to hurt these people. You're doing it because you've got no control over what you're doing. Um, and I think that's really what the message to me was is that their friendship, other than the love, because it's the love was there. It was just this friendship that they had 
that there's this one line in the movie that you know that you know her her mother says you're already down there and what she means is like you're already involved in his life you're already you know and so to me i think it was like she had to put all of her fears and frustration away to help this person and she stayed at his house you know they chased away all the drug dealers and got him to a place where he was ready to really be better and you know he didn't really i think it's just this tender moment that he had when he really accepted his problems <laughs> you know what i mean and like that's just so beautiful because it's not easy for people to do that you know and i mean i had people in my life that helped me but I would say I did it more for myself because I really had this vision of where I wanted to be in life. And the only way I'm ever gonna get there is if you help yourself. You have to really make that choice. Nobody can really do it for you. And so she helped him get here there, but generally he made the choice to just change. So yeah, I think and that's what it is ultimately. And then, you know, of course the love part of it too is like, it's a, such a genuine true love that they have for each other that is so rare in this world today that it's nice to watch that on screen and it's not so much a chick flick or like one of those like girly films it's really a, a story about friendship and work and artists and love you know that's it's really great when you know you can connect so deeply with a film like that when you have like a film or or you know and a piece of art or music or like a theater piece that just stays with you like mm -hmm. that because of such a personal experience so i i love that that's one of the reasons that you wanted to share walk the line with us mm -hmm. um because it's it, it really is a great film um you know and i i haven't seen it in years so i i appreciate the opportunity to rewatch it <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. It's been a long well, time. Well, you know, other than their acting, it's just impeccable. I mean, they're just like, you know. And Joaquin, he, I just love him. He's just so great. And um, he really should have won an award for that film, I thought, you know. Well, so. I, I love when I was reading up on the film how much he said that he was trying to give lists of other actors that he thought could play it better than he could before he accepted the role and I you know watching it now you can't imagine that anyone was better for playing Johnny Cash than Joaquin yeah. like, I can't think I want to know who was on his short list like who did Joaquin honestly think was better for that role than himself I can't imagine anyone in that role at this point age, Johnny. Yeah. they just do digital effects to make Johnny Cash look young again <laughs> right time that maybe was possible I think he passed away right after the film started shooting, weirdly enough. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, he did. Uh, it's sad that he never got to see the performance, and he and June both didn't get to see the performances um, and their story kind of play out. But um, I think they did a really great job. <laughs> I think so, too. Yeah. I mean, it's always been one of my, my all-time favorite movies that I could watch over and over again. <laughs> Well, Tony, thank you so much for jumping on the podcast with us, telling us a little bit about your career 
and your production company and the things you're trying to start up. I really look forward to when all of this is over, being able to go out to Roosevelt Island and see the film festival and see what mm -hmm. you do with it. That's super exciting. We're going to share all of your links and everything so that people can keep up to date with you um, and all the things that you're trying to do. But thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. <laughs> thank you, Tony. You're welcome. I'll see you guys soon. Hey guys, so the goal of the Astoria Filmmakers Club is to help filmmakers in the area produce their own original work and make films that we can all enjoy. The best way to show support of this is to make a donation, big or small, to the club. Your donations will go directly towards the club, this podcast, and any future productions that the AFC takes on. Just scan the QR code below and it will bring you directly to the club's official Venmo page. You can make any size donation you want and we would really appreciate it. It will go directly towards us and towards members of the club and they can make cool videos and content and films and uh, we just love your support. Please show your support and make a donation today. All right, that was Tony Vitale. Thank you very much, Tony, for coming on the podcast, talking to us about your career and everything you've got going on. Let's talk about her film choice, Walk the Line. So Walk the Line. Victoria, first impressions. What did, what did you think? Well, I had seen it forever ago. I think I saw it the year it came out. Uh, it was 2005. I must have seen it in like 2007 or something. Um, it was a long time ago. Um, I do remember enjoying it. Um, rewatching it. I found it to actually be kind of a hard rewatch. Um, not, I mean, not for any particular reason besides the fact it just felt very long to me. Um, I felt like there was, and I think also my opinion of it had had been tampered a little bit because I read um, an article completely separate from this podcast and everything about how um, Vivian Cash, his first wife, um, was portrayed extremely inaccurately in this film. Um, and one of Johnny Cash's daughters from his first marriage flat out said like it's really unfair the way they portrayed my mother and the way that they portrayed her in that she wasn't like supportive of his music career and you know they portrayed her as this like mean angry woman when you know she was super supportive of him the whole reason that they got divorced was his drug habit and he was sleeping around makes sense pretty good reason to end a marriage <laughs> but you have to make the wife out to be a villain to, to say that you know yeah right I so mean, I feel going into it I don't know so I, I felt like going into it I already had like a I don't like this isn't quite how I remember the film and I feel I felt a little like if that's if that was so inaccurate how are they portraying everything else um yeah. but you know I I do enjoy Reese Witherspoon. I I enjoy Ro Joaquin Phoenix. I think I think they had great chemistry, um, and and I think that you know it was a really interesting story to watch um, all of those you know classic names coming up. You know Jerry Lee Lewis, um, uh, Elvis Presley, John Cash, all of them coming up through it. Um, but again, realizing how much rock and rock and roll was kind of stolen from other cultures, made it 
kind of difficult to watch, I guess, in, in, in this context. But all that aside, the acting is amazing. The story of his kind of redemption through, uh, you know, through the drug abuse and, and June being there for him and, and their friendship that blossomed into something more. Um, I mean, I think it's a solid example of, of, of a biopic. It had, it had its true story in the middle of it. Um, there were a couple things that they changed for dramatic effect. Uh, but overall, it's pretty solid. Yeah, it, it makes it definitely makes you question, like, was his relationship with his dad that bad? Uh, you know, it, it, the dad might have watched that movie, you know, had he been alive at the time when it came out. Probably not, because, no, because Johnny Cash passed away too, at like a very old age. So, but I'm, I mean, I would imagine that the dad might have watched it and gone, what the fuck? <laughs> not that much of a problem with my kid, you know? Like, Maybe he did. Maybe it was even worse than we know. And he was like beating the kid or something. You never know. Uh, story is told by those who wrote it, I suppose. But uh, interestingly enough, this movie is directed by James Mangold, uh, who also directed my one of my favorite films ever, Logan. Weirdly enough, um, cool crossover between movies. Um, yeah, I like the movie. I thought it was great. It was an interesting watch. Obviously, all the problematic things that happen throughout it. I mean, it's based in, is it the 50s and 60s? So, like, women's rights weren't really as advanced as they are now. So, I'm sure that, too, the, these characters were being portrayed not in such a sense. But like, in the 50s, you could be like, shut up, woman and that's normal but now today you can't tell that story people would immediately be like fuck that guy <laughs> well you know what i what else i found interesting was you know june carter um was you know a kind of country gospel voice and her whole family they were entertainers and they were the same and it was interesting how they you know portrayed uh her having to deal with like divorce at the time wasn't as prevalent and was very much frowned upon um, and her still having to try and keep this career going in the midst of all of that um, you know her wondering whether or not she's you know is she breaking her own values by developing this relationship with Johnny Cash and I know I, I, I think it was that was interesting and very very well done in the film. Yeah, I mean, she certainly got, uh, Reese Witherspoon definitely got awarded for her performance. She won the BAFTA Award, the Broadcast Film Critic Award, the Golden Globe, she got that for, I think it was a musical or comedy category. Some of these categories too, sometimes they're like, there weren't enough musicals and there also wasn't enough comedies, so they lump them together. That, Walk the Line was not a funny movie, so that makes no sense. Um, <laughs> and it's not technically a musical, like just because it featured music because it was about musicians doesn't make it a musical. A musical is when characters are so overwhelmed with emotion that they break out into song and no one questions it. Everyone just goes with it. <laughs> Whereas yep. this is 
them performing songs because they are musicians. Like I don't, but you know, there's a whole other tangent we could go off on, on, you know, people submitting films for things in categories that they don't actually fit just because they want to make sure they get the nom at least a nomination, if not the actual award. If you can fucking believe this, do you know the movie Get Out? Yeah. That was listed as a comedy. And if you've seen Get Out, you should be like, what the fuck? Well, didn't um, Jordan Peele actually, like, because he's not the one who submitted it like that. It was whoever had the distribution rights, right? Or Yeah, I don't think it was submitted as a comedy. I think the Academy just said, we're going to put it in the comedy category. There's like two moments in that movie where you might chuckle. But Jordan Peele came out and he said, well, I forget exactly what he said, but like, no, it's not, oh, he said it's not a comedy, it's a horror movie for black people. Yeah. Like, oh shit, that's correct, 100%. So it was just like a wake up call for a lot of people because they were like, how is this a comedy? It was, it was just insane that you listed it as a comedy. But I do want to add to, on top of all those other awards that Reese Witherspoon got, because it seems like all the awards that came in for the film was either for the music itself or for her. She got all the awards, including the Oscar for Best Actress in the Leading yep. Role. So that's pretty crazy that uh, this is the movie where she got her, her Oscar. Is that her only Oscar? I don't yep. know. Yeah? Okay. Uh, and the movie did really well, too. In the box office, it did really well. The budget was $28 million to put this whole movie together. In the box office, it wound up pulling in $187 million. That's a huge turnaround. That's, they made their money hand over fist on this movie, um, which, good for Fox. So sorry that your whole studio got bought by Disney now. <laughs> Disney yeah. is the world. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the film itself, I think the music was good, too. I wouldn't imagine Joaquin Phoenix being a great singer, especially with his recent performances of, like, Joker and Her. Uh, those films don't make me think, oh, wow, this guy can sing. No, but I, and this might be a, a weird opinion, I, Johnny Cash, to me, isn't an amazing vocalist. He has a very unique sound, and I don't think there's anyone in the world that, can replicate really, no musician can really replicate that 100%. That is Johnny Cash's sound, but that doesn't make him an amazing vocalist. You know, like Bob Dylan, not an amazing vocalist, an incredible musician and very, and unique and great at what he does. And he was like Randy Newman, again, same thing. Great musician, wonderful composer, his voice isn't exactly like you wouldn't listen to that and be like, that's the most beautiful voice I've ever heard in my life. But Randy, really come on. He's, <laughs> his voice is like velvet. No, it's like Velcro. Let's, <laughs> it's like grinding. It, it's horrible. I hate his voice. But, you know. But it fits perfectly in his songs, does it not? It's yeah. his song. Uh, so, you know, I, the, the, I love that James Mangold is the director on this film. And then when he made Logan, it was almost like a callback to the fact that he made this movie when he used the song Hurt by Johnny Cash in the trailer for Logan, uh, which was really cool. And it, I think that song epitomizes the fact that he has this unique voice and no one else can really have that. But it's just, I agree with you. It's not, 
like like I wouldn't I wouldn't have him sing the national anthem, you know, the day after Whitney Houston goes or something like that. Yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't I'd be feeling bad for pretty much anybody that sang. Can you imagine the day after Whitney Houston sang her classic performance of the national anthem? So the next person up had to be like, okay, here we go. You have to get like a, a group of Girl Scouts or something because you can't you can't be like oh wow they're shitty performance because they're like you know. right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think Reese Witherspoon and Joaquin Phoenix did a great job. They both learned instruments too. Um, I forget what what was Reese Witherspoon playing the whole time. It was some kind of weird. Think of what that instrument is. Or something. It was like a small harp, handheld harp of some sort. I'm looking it up right now. Yeah. What instrument did Reese Witherspoon? I can't, I've seen that instrument before and I can't. Um, it's called the auto harp. That's what it's called. The auto harp. Auto harp. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. But it's, it's pretty cool that they, you know, dedicated all that time. They learned those instruments. They came out, they actually performed all the music. It, it gives more authenticity to the role, I think. Yeah, I think that's, that was a very interesting and strong choice for the filmmakers to let them sing the music themselves. I think most of the time, they, you know, the voices, if you're doing especially a musical biopic, the voices are so iconic that you don't want to mess with it. Like, I know with Selena, I think there's only one point where Jennifer Lopez actually sang and it wasn't, a recording of Selena um, and I think that was like at like a concert scene where she you know was trying to quiet the crowd down so she was singing and then they then they put the track on um, and again with um, you know Freddie Mercury's voice is so unique and sh like so insanely talented it's so hard to replicate that sound so you know it I, I completely understand most of the time when they don't allow the actor to really sing for them. But the, I think it, it made it feel a lot more real to know that they were actually singing at that point. And you didn't sit there the whole time, you know, going, oh, they're lip syncing really well. Cause I, I do that. I did that a little bit watching like Selena, I'll watch that and I'll be like, oh, yeah. did, did Rami Malek, did he sing all the stuff for Bohemian Rhapsody? Is that, I don't, a, I don't think he would. I know there's a guy, I just Googled him, um, that's what I was typing, named yeah. Mark Mattel, and he sounds just like Freddie Mercury to the point where he, that's what he's famous for, is sounding like Freddie Mercury. Um, and he, he got brought onto a show at some point to perform for Celine Dion. Like, it was like, like he walked out and Celine Dion was like, oh my God, because he was going to sing her a song by Freddie Mercury. So apparently he's that much like it. I wouldn't be surprised if they had him record the music for Bohemian Rhapsody. So in Bohemian Rhapsody, I just looked it up while you were talking, um, what they did was they mixed Rami Malek's voice with that guy Mark. They mixed the voices together over it so it was a more authentic like it, so that Rami Malek was actually singing, but it sounded more like Freddie Mercury. Whereas, like if you look at um, Ray Jamie Foxx, who is a classically trained 
pianist was actually was playing, but he was lip syncing to um, uh, oh, what is his name? Ray. What is his last name? Charles. Ray Charles. Ray Charles. <laughs> wow, my brain. Um, but he was he was lip syncing to Ray Charles um, okay. in that. I had to do a double take at one point because when at, at one point. Uh, he goes upstairs and he's watching June perform for the first time. And he looks over to his right and who's sitting there, of course, Elvis Presley. And for half a second, I was like, oh shit, is that really Elvis? And I was like, wait, you're stupid. That's not Elvis, you dumb idiot. And I had to tell myself, but for, for half a second, I was like, oh shit, he really looks like Elvis. Yeah, uh, I thought that was really great. Um, and just a few other parts of the movie that were like really favorite parts. I think towards the beginning when he's had that fight with his uh, wife at the very beginning and he was singing the song in the basement and she walked in on it and she was like, oh, you hate me. Mm. I, f I found that to be surprisingly like interesting. And he, for him, it was just the music was flowing naturally and that was just the expression of his true feelings. And she registered it as like, oh, he's through his art, he's expressing that he hates me. And I thought that was interesting that that's how she perceived it. And for him, it was like, no, I'm just writing a song. Like I'm, I'm embellishing upon the, the situation to tell a song, to write a song about this. Sort yeah, of. I mean, look at his, the song he wrote, uh, you know, about Folsom Prison. He literally talks about shooting a man in Reno. I, he didn't do that. Like, <laughs> You know, maybe he, did. maybe he shot a guy and he was like, please stop me. <laughs> I am murdering everybody. I think that's got to be hard as, you know, as artists, when you are writing things based on your own life, you know, it's, it's hard. Not for 50 cent. <laughs> <laughs> Not hard for him at all. Happened and <laughs> it happened. Here we go. And then there's other artists that are rapping about it. They, he and Peel actually did to bring up Jordan Peel again. They did a, a funny sketch where there was a rapper artist who was brought into to a detective agency. And the tech detectives were asking this rapper. They were like, "We have to talk to you about your new song." And the song was like, it like the beat comes in, and then all of a sudden you hear him rapping, and he's like. I killed Todd Jeffers. I murdered him with a gun. And he's like rapping those lyrics. They're like, did you do it though? Because we found this gun and it has your fingerprints on it. And you're confessing about it. And he's like, nah, man, that's just the song. I'm just writing a song. It's just fun. But then as they played the tape out more, it was like evidence at that point. <laughs> like, nah, man, it's just a song. So all these artists, you know, they're talking a lot of shit. They're talking about having guns and stealing drugs and having all these crazy cars and meanwhile they're like you know normal normal dudes that can just write really well i mean it that is difficult though when you are writing about your real life stuff you wonder how people because i mean even the walk the line was based off of two johnny cash autobiographies which very well could have for example put his first wife, his ex-wife Vivian, into a, a very not, not nice light, you know? Um, but for, from Vivian's point of view, 
it wasn't that way from their daughter's point of view it wasn't that way so i mean even though it is through johnny cash's lens it might not it there's his side her side and what really happened yeah. you know so it's her as the villain but maybe he didn't and he knew oh it's it's me because i'm the drug addict cheater over here and you know i i don't know I don't believe Johnny Cash ever saw the movie. Um, no, because he passed away before it, before it was finished. He did approve of the cast. So they were making the production. I think he was like, he's good. And then I think uh, at the end of the movie, it says that June passed away first and then he passed away pretty soon after, like months. Four months, four months yeah. later. Uh, so I'm pretty sure they passed away like right as they started production or something. Yeah. So I'm sure that fueled the fire of this movie like whenever somebody dies it's almost like let's talk about them more you know um but heath ledger dark knight that movie was amazing would it have had the same success if heath ledger hadn't died i mean nobody would really know but i think it's it certainly brought more attention to the movie if um yeah. I mean, I enjoyed the movie. I felt like the performances all around were really strong. I really felt for the relationship between the dad, and Johnny Cash, JR. His name isn't even Johnny. I was surprised by that. I forgot about that little fact. Um, also, it's kind of funny that the army was like, no, you can't. Or, what did he join? Did he join the army or the Navy? Air Force. Air Force. Okay. Uh, he joins the Air Force, and they're like, "Jr. is not a name, son. You can't. You gotta. You gotta pick a real name, a strong American name." Johnny, there you go. <laughs> he said, "He said John," and then I think it was June was the first one that was like, "Oh, Johnny Cash, tied to my tied to my dress or whatever." When he bumped right. her, yeah. um, but it, it just immediately was like, as soon as he met her. I, I was like, oh, he's going to cheat on his wife. I knew where it was going. And I, I didn't really remember the story either. So it was just guessing. But I was like, oh, I know what's going to happen. So if anything, it was rather predictable. I was surprised at, because you know what it is too? You watch a movie like Bohemian Rhapsody. And then you watch Walk the Line. And you're like, Johnny Cash wasn't that crazy. Freddie Mercury did so much more fucked up shit. And you watch any other rock star from like the 70s or 80s, those guys all took it to another level. Fucking Elvis took it to another level, and he was a side character in the movie. Well, I mean, it's, it depends on like the story that they were focusing on in this, because you know you're trying to encapsulate someone's whole life into what two hours and 15 minutes of a film, and a, and they were also, I think they did a really great job of fleshing both of these main characters out. You know, of making sure that they both had a well-rounded arc, even though clearly Johnny Cash was the main character. And, you know, June was, she's right up there with him, but the story was Johnny Cash's story. Um, you know, they didn't want to focus on all the crazy stuff. They just did like montages of the crazy stuff of him, you know, sleeping with women and starting to take drugs and all this stuff. I'm sure there's, they could have probably done a whole movie in and of itself of all the crazy shit that Johnny Cash did while on tour with these with these young kids you know when he's away from his wife and 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 family 
to blow off some steam and you're surrounded by all this craziness and this hype, I'm sure there's a lot more to it. They just tying bombs to trees. You know that out of the wall. Yeah. Just normal rock star shit. Exactly. <laughs> um, apparently that was improvised. Joaquin Phoenix was not supposed to rip his entire room apart, but he just did it. Because that's what Joaquin Phoenix does. Joaquin Phoenix does what Joaquin Phoenix does. And you film it and you go with it. <laughs> Put that in the movie. Uh, apparently him and Reese Witherspoon did not get along at the very beginning. Uh, when they were filming, they they were button heads and they were very pissed off at each other. But then they changed that and got around to liking each other. I, I'm not surprised by this at all. Joaquin Phoenix is a very weird method actor. So he probably was acting really strange towards Reese Witherspoon, who comes off. I don't know her, so I can't really say. But she comes off as a person who's really genuine and sweet. So I would imagine that she would have met Joaquin Phoenix and been like, whatever. Like, he, he probably wrote her off, and that's why they probably butted heads at first. But then, obviously, the whole film, as he's trying to, like, get on her good side, they probably actually started to get along in real life as well. Uh, and apparently, at one point, because apparently the movie production didn't go as well as you would hope, uh, there were issues. They made a pact with one another and said, if you quit the movie, I'm quitting the movie. So... Big turnaround in terms of their relationship on camera and off camera. Wow. Interestingly enough. This is, of course, according to the very reliable sources at Wikipedia. So, um, It is really difficult, actually, to get verified information on Wikipedia. It's difficult right. to get that. You can't just, which is why I'm really angry at all of my high school teachers for saying don't cite Wikipedia actually really difficult to get information on wikipedia especially if it's incorrect it immediately gets taken off so yeah i mean there's always people fact checking stuff but i'm pretty sure the the reason they say don't fact check through wikipedia is because i can go on there and change abraham lincoln's birthday to being like 2005 and he was born in 2005 and no one might notice for a little bit <laughs> uh, I think that's where Donald Trump is getting all of his alternative facts for coronavirus. He's just going on there and being like, no, this is it. <laughs> we, have the best, we have the best rate of cases. There's no cases. Florida doesn't exist. <laughs> he was down there all the time, and that's where he legally moved to. <laughs> <sighs> <Ugh>. <laughs> uh. You know, I, it's weird watching films now in this pandemic. I thought that was the end of the sentence. It's weird watching films now. I mean, weird now, I could end it there, but <laughs> watching films now in this pandemic and like seeing, you know, large crowds of extras and, you know, the actors getting like this close to each other and, you know, taught like, especially when they're singing like in each other's faces at the same microphone, I can't help but be like, no, six feet apart, no. <laughs> You're supposed to socially distance back in 1950-something. You know, polio exists. They should be socially distancing for right. polio. <laughs> uh, I'm just, I'm itching for getting back to a sense of normalcy, and it's just, it's not anywhere close. Never going to be. No more normal. Normal's for wimps. We're not, we're not wimps. We're, we're not. 
We're going to be living a crazy lifestyle from now on. I want you to play the video game Death Stranding. That's right. It's basically about how the outside world has become so hazardous that everybody that is just trying to live their life lives in an underground bunker. And you play the game as basically Norm, you're Norman Reedus. You look exactly like Norman Reedus. It's played by Norman Reedus. And you're basically a person who just delivers packages. And you go around, and you're the guy bringing stuff from, from one bunker to another bunker. That's it. That's the game. And that's what life should be, is there's just a bunch of Amazon delivery people out there in the real hazardous world with coronavirus and stuff. And they're bringing us stuff that we order off of Amazon. I mean... That is what's going on right now, so. <laughs> I think I'm bullshitting about this. This is real life. This is real life. <laughs> yeah. They are talking about getting back into production. Uh, a, a bunch of movies actually restarted production. The Matrix is back in full swing. Um, I know this because I saw a video online of them filming The Matrix 4, and Keanu Reeves was on a motorcycle with Trinity. Spoiler alert, they're both not dead. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. But it was a really cool rig, too. It was like a motorcycle, and Trinity was riding the motorcycle, and Keanu Reeves was on the back of it, holding on. And, but it was almost built, like, the, the motorcycle was almost built into, like, a float. Like, there was a whole platform next to it that was driving itself, and people were standing on it, and they were all filming in different areas. And it was really cool to see a cool big camera rig. I know, too, they just started production on Uncharted the Movie, starring Tom and Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, yeah, I've been seeing a lot on uh, Tom Holland's Facebook or Instagram of him sharing stuff like that. Flex. He's I, I don't know how I feel about him. <laughs> I, I can't, personality-wise, anybody can make themselves muscular and look like that. And for Spider-Man, obviously, he's got to be a little bit thinner and more agile or whatever. Uh, that character is not a small person. Like, I imagine him being, like, I would almost imagine Chris Evans being that character. Well, so I think what they're doing is they're, they're changing. I th and I, I could be wrong about all of this, but I think originally Mark Wahlberg was trying to get the rights to, to make this film a long time ago when he was the right age to play Nathan Drake. Mm -hmm. However, it took so long. He's still attached to the project. He's not quite old enough to play Sully and the age that Sully is in the video games. So they're kind of taking, uh, they're writing a whole new chapter of it that you don't see in the video games. In the video games, you can see the very beginnings of their relationship and where they are today. But there's this weird like in between of a younger Nathan and a younger Sully and seeing where they're at. So I think they're telling like kind of a whole new- Like a prequel? Kind of. I mean, in the third game, you see the first time Nathan meets Sully and how their relationship started. But it's just, it's only like a couple scenes um, where you see this is very beginning when Nathan is like 14. Um, so I think they're probably, in, and then in the games, Nathan's got to be in his, like, early 30s, early to mid-30s through the series of the games. Um, so I, I think that um, they're probably doing this new, like, 
younger Nathan, who's just turned 21 or so, I don't know, something like that. All um, these adaptations. I don't know, I don't know. Survive, overcome, what is it? What, endure and survive? Endure, that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah, we'll I'm, see. They're gonna make movies off of everything. They're making a movie for every video game that's ever existed, they're gonna make it. HBO is making The Last of Us into a thing. Yep. Uh, they made Assassin's Creed into a really bad movie. You yep. know, I'm waiting on Gears of War. Gears of War is a movie that I think could happen, but they need to bring every WWE wrestler that doesn't wrestle anymore out of retirement and have them play because there's nothing, there, there's no one else that can play those huge characters. They're ridiculous. Their proportions of who they are are insane. So here's what you need to do. You need to call Sultan, who works as a writer for the WWE, get him to talk to Vince McMahon, and have him contact the video game people, and there you go. I jumped the gun. I jumped the gun, and I went a step further, and I already DM'd Dave Batista <laughs> because he, he's been trying to get that role forever because he, he kind of looks like the main character, Marcus Phoenix. And I think the studio is just shying away from it. And they basically, they, I'm assuming they told him no, but they were like, we really think this could have worked, but it's just not what we're going for if, if they are going to make that movie. Um, so instead, they made a, a skin for Gears of War 5, like one of the multiplayer skins. It's just Dave Bautista in red sunglasses. Oh. So it's weird, but it's also awesome at the <laughs> same time. But what? it's also like, if, if they did that, they're not going to make a whole movie with that guy. But when, they, when he was trying to get the role and he was blowing up on Twitter and everyone was like, they should do this. I DM'd him and I was like, please do this. <laughs> make it happen. Help me out. I will come on board. I'll do whatever you need me to do. Here's a war. It would be a fun project to work on. But I think it would be problematic because it's... Uh, it's a type of franchise that does not give a fuck mm. at any point. It's just loud, in-your-face ridiculousness. And there's nothing PC about it in any way. Nothing necessarily, like, misogynistic or racist or anything, but it's, it's all the men that save the world. Men save the world, and the women are just like, help us. They're just all dying in the background. <laughs> it's really sad. Um, Sounds great. Uh, <laughs> on that note. <laughs> no, we can't do on that note. Uh, <laughs> on that note, me, every time I say, I, it's not even me, it's Gears of War. Okay. All right. Well, anyway. No, say something else. We have to say something of substance. All right. Uh, walk the line was great. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning into the AFC podcast. <laughs> thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I think I broke Jim. <laughs> I don't know how to continue. I need something of substance to say, but we're out. We finish. We're, we're done. We've got end on something that I say that's not even bad, but kind of bad. <laughs> because, Jim.
because we have to. I think you should just talk until you say something bad. It might be a while. That would that would be like a six-hour podcast, Jim. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> I think we, you know what we should do? This is what we should do to enhance the podcast. And we're taking suggestions here, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> we should start drinking on the podcast. Like, like here's some whiskey. And like, as, as we do the podcast, so by the end of it, we're just belligerently saying whatever we think. I mean, I'm up for that. Uh, messages in. <laughs> suggest some liquors to us and <laughs> we'll be drunk talking about movies. That, I'm sure that's a podcast already. That has to be, there has to be a podcast out there that's, let's drink and talk about movies. I'm sure. It's gotta be a thing. But it doesn't mean that we can't do it. We can do it. It's is it is it appropriation if we if we do that and we don't know the podcast? I think if it's just a one time episode, a themed episode, if you will, I think it's okay. Oh, so you're okay with appropriation, huh? And on that note, <laughs> got her. You've been canceled, Victoria. You've been canceled. You and your Ghostbusters. Leave the Ghostbusters out of this. Listen, there's a whole sign that says. No to the Ghostbusters. Well, folks, thank you for tuning in to the AFC podcast. As a reminder, you can watch us on YouTube. You can also listen to our dulcet tones on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and on CastBox. <laughs> it's on you now, Jim. This was great. <laughs> it's so much fun today. Thank you, Victoria. I'm Jim Galizia. Thank you guys for tuning in, listening to us ramble on about whatever the hell we're talking about at this right. point. And, and thank you to Tony Vitale for coming on and giving us that uh, walk the line to talk about and talking to us about your career and everything that she's doing. We'll give you all the links and everything so you can keep up with her and all of her projects. Cool. Thank you guys. See you next time. <laughs>